created us as human beings, you spoke and your word went forth with power. You created things not with big bulldozers and huge equipment. You created the universe with your word. I pray this morning as we look into your word, both in the Old Testament at the very beginning and in the New Testament in the Gospel of John, that you would give us new insight into who you are and to who we are. Help us to understand more clearly the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And help us to understand that that same kind of relationship is a part of what it means to be a child of God and that you have invited us into your communion not because you were lonely, but simply because you loved us and wanted us to experience the love and the companionship and the encouragement that you yourself have experienced throughout all eternity past as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the beginning, God. In the first four words of the Bible, God gives us just a glimpse into his character. You don't catch it by reading it in the English version, but if you're familiar with the Hebrew version, by the time you get to the word God, just four words in, your mind starts to spin a little bit because something is different. The word for God is L, E-L, spelled in English. It looks a lot different than that in the Hebrew language. But what's strange about it is that the fourth word of the Bible is in plural form, Elohim, in the Hebrew language. Now, God doesn't sort it all out and tell us what all that means immediately, but all throughout the Old Testament, he gives us glimpses into his character until finally, when we get into the New Testament, we begin to understand that there's something different going on here. That God is monotheistic, that it is one God, but that he is three persons. A.W. Tozer once said that what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Your concept of God defines how you understand the world around you and how you understand yourself. The Trinity draws their identity from each other. The Father wouldn't be the Father if he didn't have a son. He might be Almighty, he might be God, he might be Jehovah, but he wouldn't be Abba, Father as Jesus calls him in his prayer, Daddy. The Son wouldn't be the Son if it weren't for the Father. All three persons of the Trinity work together in the creation of the universe. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6, it says, God the Father, it is, is it not your Father, your Creator, 
Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? The Spirit was there. The Bible says that the Spirit of God was there hovering over the waters. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. John illuminates us even further by saying in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that in the beginning was the Word, the living Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and that the Word was God, and through Him all things were made. The goal of my sermon this morning is to help you understand that Christian community, what we are right here, Christian community, is rooted in the very nature of God. God is a relational being. He understands what it is to have a friend. He understands what it is to communicate. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has never been lonely. He is not a lone ranger. In fact, all three persons of the Trinity appear together again in the beginning of the New Testament when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Jesus is there. The Father's voice speaks and says, this is my beloved Son. And the Spirit is there once again hovering over the scene in the form of a dove. God exists in perfect relationship. This opening picture of a relational God transitions into the creation of relational mankind before even the end of chapter 1 in Genesis. Look at the amazing thing that happens in the creation account. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. Let there be, he says that all the way up through the first several verses, and then when he gets to verse 25, 26, and 27, he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his, singular, own image. In the image of God, he created him at the center of the universe. In fact, before there was even a universe, there was a perfect triune God, absolutely perfect in unity and in intimacy. God didn't make man because he was lonely or needed love. You have on the back of your sermon outline that uh, you received in the bulletin what I call uh, the two Richards, these are ancient writers uh, of the church, and I want to read to you uh, part of what it says underneath that middle part, the sunshine of God's love. It says, people usually think of the Puritans as a pinched and frostbitten lot, sour, picky, and bluntly so boring that pigeons could roost on them. Well, some of them were, but not Richard Sibbs. Sibbs, a rough contemporary of Shakespeare, was a Puritan preacher and theologian who spoke so winningly of the kindness and love of God that he came to be known as the honey-mouthed preacher. 
Yet it was not simply that Sibs was born with a sunny disposition. He himself was adamant that it is our view of God that shapes us most deeply. We become like what we worship. And Sibs clearly saw the triune God as winning, kind, and lovely. He spoke of the living God as a life-giving, warming sun who delights to spread his beams and his influence on inferior things, to make all things fruitful. Such a goodness is in God, as in a fountain or in the breast that loves to ease itself of milk. That is, God is simply bursting with warm and life-importing nourishment far more willing to give than we are to receive. And that, he explained, is precisely why he created the world. If God had not a communicative, spreading goodness, he would never have created the world. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost were happy in themselves and enjoyed one another before the world was, apart from the fact that God delights to communicate and spread his goodness. There had never been a creation or redemption. It is not then that God needed to create the world in order to satisfy himself or to be himself. The divine majesty of this God is not dependent on the world. The Father, Son, and Spirit were happy in themselves and enjoyed one another before the world was. But the Father so enjoyed his fellowship with his Son that he wanted to have the goodness of it spread out and communicated or shared with others. The creation was a free choice born out of nothing but love. You and I today celebrate a communion, a community that is part of the very nature of God. God, in absolute grace, wanted you and me to be part of his infinite love. He created us in his own image as a reflection or as representatives of the Trinity. You and I are made for intimacy, for relationship, for community. We are relational beings, just like God is. Take your Bibles. I know that this text will be up on the screen, but I want you to get in the habit of bringing your Bible to church. I, I like having words on the screen, but one of the downsides of it is that sometimes we just forget to bring our Bibles to church. And I think it's a good thing to have your Bible with you when you come to church. So open it up and turn with me to John chapter 17. You'll need to keep it open throughout the whole service because there'll be times when I'm directing you back to it. But I want to talk to you about discipleship and community, about the fact that the very nature of God is built into us individually and is a community of believers as we gather together. God wants our community, our communion, to reflect his. Watch as I read these verses in John 17, 20 through 23. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is praying to the Father. 
He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's for his disciples and those who had already come to him. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you were in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Community is unbelievably important. Notice what he says at the beginning of that or in the middle of that where he says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then he closes, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The impact of our testimony is not only individual, it's communal. The impact of our testimony not only depends on how you behave yourself in the world throughout the week. People coming to Christ depends greatly on what they see of the church, the community of believers. If they see the same kind of scrapping and meddling and gossip and and who knows what all in the church, they're tempted to say, why bother with the church? I've got that in the world. We're a different people. We're a chosen people. We are people that are called in Scripture the very sons of God. We find our true identity in the community of believers. I've been blessed over the years, several years ago, to read uh, a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's just a short book called Life Together. Anybody read that? I I commend it to everybody. I commend it to your small groups. Uh, And I want to share at length from that book today as I talk to you about what it means to be a part of community, a part of communion, a part of the body of believers. We don't find our we don't find our value in isolation or seclusion. We don't grow in isolation. You and I belong to a community of believers and become we become who Christ intended us to be through the community of believers. That's how we begin to understand who we are, what we're all about. Your understanding of God will greatly shape your understanding of yourself and of your community. It's where we find ourselves in community, ministering and being ministered to, loving and being loved, forgiving and being forgiven. It's even in community where we find harmony even through friction. Conversion leads to us becoming a part of the body of Christ, the visible body of Christ on this earth. And being a part of the body of Christ helps us to understand 
our individual validity, value, and discover it and to demonstrate it and to develop it. Some of you maybe have uh, admired paintings and discovered that the, the rich colors that are in a beautiful painting play off of each other. One color is next to another color, and they either blend or they contrast, and certain things show up, and other things are somewhat hidden. It, it's like that in the body of Christ. We're different colors. We, we develop a, a beautiful portrait and picture of, of who we are and who Christ is and who the community of believers is. The master artist uh, puts us in our various places so that the value that Christ has placed in us and the beauty of the whole canvas can be seen together. I'm reminded of the, whatever you call these mosaics, or just if you get close enough, the little bitty squares that are all put together, some of them dark, some of them light, some of them in between, all of them in black and white shades, but think if it was all color. Even as it is, it's just gorgeous. That's you and me. We're part of that picture. We're part of that picture. And we're a part of that picture as well. The body of believers, the picture, the picture, the visible picture of, of the triune God inside the body of Christ. Now, I want to share with you this morning some steps that you and I need to take toward a united community. How can we, how can we begin to develop this, this, um, this uniting of us together? First of all, I think we need to, you need to recognize your great privilege. In Psalm 133, verse 1, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. The community of Christian brothers and sisters is a gift of God's grace. We ought to thank God for it. I forgot to mention when I started that I'm flying solo today. Um, Mary Ellen is with our um, Sudanese friend. We call her Jewel. And uh, she's getting settled up in uh, St. Cloud. And Mary Ellen's up there helping her get settled into a church uh, today. So I'm kind of flying by myself. So, um, you know, you're, you're in the place of Mary Ellen, Don, and uh, you need to smile at me, you know, and now and then you could throw in a little amen, you know. No, no winking, okay? No throwing little kisses or anything like that. She's my, uh, she's my number one prayer partner. Recognize your great privilege being a part of the body of Christ. Secondly, remind yourself that Christ is the ground of our fellowship. I want to take you back to your Bibles this time. Look at it in Scripture, and I want to read verse 11 out of chapter 17, John 17, verse 11, and then I want to read verse 22. Here we go with 11. I will remain in the world. Jesus is speaking. I will remain in the world no longer, but they, that's the disciples, and now it's us, 
but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So that you and I, all together, may be one as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. He says it again for emphasis in verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. In them, I in them, and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our unity, our unity as the body of Christ, our unity as a, I was going to say a human trinity, but our, our unity derived from the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is what will draw people to Christ. Our disunity will drive them away. Let me say it positively. Our unity as the body of Christ will draw other people to Jesus. That's, that's an awesome privilege and an incredible responsibility. Remind yourself that Christ is the ground of our fellowship. You and I are united through Christ. That is the sole thing that unites us. When I, was, when I was cutting my teeth in ministry back in the early 1970s, there was something that was called the church growth movement. I think it did a lot of good things, but I also think it, there were some things that they didn't do very well. They talked about uh, make sure you have a big parking lot so that people will come to church and will have a nice place to park. Uh, or they talked about homogeneous units. They talked about churches seem to be drawn together by people who all feel like a part, all feel like well, they're like me and I'm like them. And if there's anything that's not true of the church of God, the real church, is that we're not like each other. The only thing that binds us together is the blood of Jesus Christ. There's more opposites in here than you can think of. I, I don't... Forgive me, okay? I, I don't want to go to a church that's all white. Now, I've been to a church that's all black. We had a foster son back in the first couple of years of our marriage who finished his year of high school, senior year, and then did a half a year of, uh, of college. And we went, to a, we went to a black service with him one time. And I finally found out what it is to, to, be, to be a minority. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you get to heaven, you're going to worship with blacks and whites and red and red and yellow black and white they are precious in his sight how about we practice for that did you know that one of the most segregated hours of the week is 11 o'clock on sunday morning in a church I love my black 
brothers and sisters. I love the lady, even though she spent nine years in prison, that lived in our home for the last month. It was crazy. Not because of her, but because of all my kids. I mean, we had people on top of people. It was just, it was bedlam sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. But it was so much fun. I love people of color. Remind yourself that Christ is the ground of our fellowship. We are not bound together by socioeconomics. We are not bound together just by same color. We are bound together as brothers and sisters by reason of the fact that Jesus Christ died for all of us. Our community and our communion consists solely in what Jesus has done for us and in us, period. I could use, I could use just a little amen. Thank you. <laughs> no, you know, you know, that's fine. That's great. Oh. Thirdly, surrender your idealistic expectations. This is huge. We tend to enter any community, but it happens in the church, too, with preconceived ideas of what it's going to be like, what it should be like. We, we, we have ideas of Christian life together and what it should look like. In Bonhoeffer's own words, he says this, God shatters such dreams. He won't permit us to live in a dream world. He wants us to face such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects. The sooner, the better. Whew! Have you ever found that there are people in the church you have a hard time getting along with? I've had people not get along with me. Can you believe that? <laughs> Consider the disciples. They lived closer to Jesus than anybody did. But their community was anything but serene and tranquil. Think about the various personalities and the backgrounds of the disciples and how they're diversity, how their differences contributed to their development as disciples. How about Peter, who was impetuous as you possibly can be? Or James and John, who were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, and whose mommy wanted to be sure they got the best spot. Think of Matthew, who had been a tax collector, a Jew who had sold his soul to the Roman Empire to collect taxes among the Jews to be sent to Rome. Thomas was a twin. Judas Iscariot was a money grubber and a traitor. Simon the Zealot was a political activist against Rome. They were about as diverse a group as you can imagine. 
And yet Jesus pulled them all together, as different as they were. He intentionally picked a small, mixed bag of men. He trained them. He spent lots of time with them. He walked with them everywhere. He was straightforward with them. He called a spade a spade. He loved them. He gave them on-the-job training. He debriefed them. He let them fail and then picked them up. And he let them know that their responsibility was great in the coming years after he would leave them to carry on his mission. We have to be very careful with our expectations of others. I just read a couple days ago this clip out of a book by uh, Jen Ferguson, who, along with her husband, wrote the book called Pure Eyes, a Clean Heart, A Couple's Journey to Freedom from Pornography. She talks about unrealistic expectations. She's talking in the context of marriage, but it applies to the church. Unrealistic expectations keep us rigid. She writes, when our unrealistic expectations aren't met and we're intent on standing our ground in every little thing, we become unable to extend grace. When we cannot give grace, it often makes it harder to receive it. But it is grace that makes a relationship go around. God is all about new mercies every morning. And if we're striving to live like Jesus, forgiveness is key, both forgiving those around us and forgiving ourselves. She goes on, unrealistic expectations are a form of perfectionism. You'll never get it perfect. You will mess it up. You will sin, fall down, neglect something, and overdo other things. So will everybody else. To expect perfection out of your brother or sister is to reject your need or another's need for a savior, Jesus. The striving and unrelenting pursuit for perfection will only breed negative thoughts about yourself and negative thoughts about others. I've uh, served five churches um, over the years. Um, Four of them were uh, a mess. One of them had gone through a split and lost uh, about 170 people. Um, Another of them uh, was so small that uh, on Sunday morning, I thought, I thought I preached the worst sermon of my life, and on Sunday night, there were only 11 people there meeting in a uh, kind of a YMCA or community center room where the air conditioning broke. It must have been 100 degrees in there, and I thought I preached the best sermon I'd ever preached in my life. Of course, by that time, I'd only preached about five sermons because that was the first church in Danville, Illinois. And they called me. Oh, was that church a mess. So I, I know what, I know what uh, 
unrealistic expectations are all about. I've, I've lived with those. I've created some of those. I've been a part of some of those. I've had unrealistic expectations of my wife from time to time. Um, anybody else willing to admit that? I saw a hand go up, went down right away. It was, I guess there's a few of us. One of the greatest schools of, uh, of growth in the world is marriage. Second only to family. <laughs> and then there's the church. Can I tell you something about your future pastor? I don't know him. I don't know him from Adam. But he'll mess up once in a while. He'll make mistakes. Don't put him on a pedestal because he's human just like you are. And you want to know something else? You'll make a few mistakes. Let's show some grace. When he's not like the former pastor, and he won't be. When he maybe doesn't always suit your expectations, show grace. Show grace. The fourth thing that Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks to us about in terms of really having this kind of unity and community, communion together. He says, love each other through Christ. I'm going to try to go through this as quickly as I possibly can, but it's so important. Have you ever thought about the fact that God, that Jesus, is not only mediator between God and man, but that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are mediator between man and man, man and woman, woman and woman. No place have I ever found that out more um, dramatically than in my own home. Have you ever tried to fix your wife? Have you ever tried to fix your husband? <laughs> I, I seriously how many of you are guilty of that the rest of you are liars <laughs> it doesn't work it doesn't work In a spiritual community like the church, brothers and sisters are related through Christ, and we relate to each other through Christ. 
Christ is our mediator to God, but Christ is also our mediator between us and other humans. So what does that look like? What does it look like when you and I love each other through Christ? Well, let me give you four things. One, I will look at my brother, my Christian brother and sister, through Christ's eyes. Read this verse with me from 2 Corinthians 5.16, will you? Read it together with me. So from now on, we will regard no one according to a worldly view, according to the flesh. Let's do it again. I didn't hear you. Maybe it's because my wife says I'm going deaf. I just say I have selective hearing. Um, read it with me, okay? First, 2 Corinthians 5.16. Let's go together. So from now on, we will regard no one according to a worldly view, according to the flesh. Your desire as a believer, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's in the church, is not to make other people like you. It's not to make other people clones of you. It's not to make other people have the same point of view as you. It's not to form them into an image of you it's your desire should be to help form them in the image of Christ, and that may be totally opposite what you look like. Number two, B, I will trust Christ to work in his life. I love this passage in Philippians 1, 4 through 6. Should have put it on the screen, but I didn't. But listen, um, this is Paul talking, and he's talking to this group of people in the city of Philippi that he helped establish their church. And he's, he's been there for a long time and he's done everything he could to, be, to help them. But then he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now look at this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You have got to get to the place, and so do I, where we trust God to change other people and where we don't try to do the changing. We have a hard enough time changing ourselves. Amen? Amen. How can you do it to somebody else? You've got to rely on the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, or C, I will intercede for my brother or sister. Remember, Christ mediates between person and person. So meet your brother or your sister. Sometimes if there's things going on that shouldn't be going on, you may need to meet them with the word of God. You may need to share a little bit of a, of a verse with them or say something in the love of Christ, but then back off. Leave them alone. Let the clear word of God speak. Be confident that Christ will deal with them. You don't really want them to be just like you. If there was a whole church of just like yous, it wouldn't be a church in the first place. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of trying to change my wife. She's even more guilty of trying to change me. <laughs> That's not true. 
That's not true. Intercede, intercede, intercede. And D, I will look to Christ, not my brother or sister, to meet my needs. Your mate and other people in the church will not meet all your needs. They just won't. They don't have the capacity to do it any more than you do to meet all their needs. You can't do it. You're not capable. You don't have the energy. You don't have the time. You don't have the ability. You can't do it. I will look to Christ and not my brother to meet my needs. You can't meet their needs and they can't meet all your needs. Lean on Christ. Lean on Christ. And lastly, reach lost people through community. Reach lost people through community. The phrase one another is used a hundred times in the New Testament. Love one another, encourage one another, uh, spur one another on to good deeds, etc., 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 a hundred times. You need to be part of a small group of Christians. One of these days, this church is going to be filled up. You need a small group. You need it for accountability. You need it because it's too easy in a large church to sit in the back row. You need it because in a large church, it's easier to just kind of come and go and nobody notices whether you're there or not. You need to be a part of a small group so that you can't sit in the back row. You need to be a part of a small group so that you can sit in the front row. You need to be in a part of a small group so that a brother or sister can look you in the eye and say, well done. Or maybe share a word of advice with you or a word of counsel or a word of encouragement. Jesus understood that. Among all the people that he could have picked, he picked that diverse group of 12 men because he knew that was the best way to forge them into being what he wanted them to be. Jesus wanted his disciples to live out the gospel together so that unbelievers would see their changed lives and believe in him. Author Rich Richardson has these words to say about evangelism taking place through community. He says, today people are looking for a community to belong to before a message to believe in. Evangelism is about helping people belong so I lost my place so that they come to believe. Evangelism is about helping people belong so that they come to believe. Most people today don't decide to believe. In community, they discover 
that they believe. And then they decide to affirm that publicly and to follow Christ intentionally. People are looking for a safe, accepting place to develop their identity and their sense of self in community. Let me unpack that for you. I'm not saying that people don't come to Christ on the, on the street corner. I'm not saying that people don't come to Christ through personal invitation uh, by you sharing your testimony with them. But I'm saying that what he's saying is that and there's, there's a lot of lonely people today. Social media has not met their needs. They don't understand that yet. They still are poking around. But, but they need to be a part of a, a larger community. Not a big church, but a small group where they can meet people eye to eye and come to understand what it is to have a relationship with Jesus by seeing the people around them pray together. So what's the bottom line? Well, the bottom line is remind yourself that you're made in the image of God, of a relational God, and that you're designed to grow in relationship. Do everything you can to get connected. This church makes a big effort in the fall to start up new groups and to invite people to be a part of community groups. There's all kinds of options to choose from. Again, I would, for those of you who are in charge of small groups or have any word in small groups, I'd, I'd encourage you to have them read this book, Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But if you're not in a small group, get in one. Get in one. Take time out to share your life with others and to let them share their life with you. I want you to bow your heads. And before we come together for communion, I want you to, I, I want you to uh, respond in the way that you want to with this, uh, with this invitation. How many of you are identifying with some of the things I've talked about today? How many of you need, need God to help you uh, look at other people through the eyes of Christ instead of through your own tainted lenses? How many of you need, need to show more grace? How many of you want, you want so badly to have other people be like you and you, you've come to the conclusion that that's just not, that's just not the way to live. If you need prayer in that area, here's what I want you to do. We're going to have communion in just a few minutes. We're going to come up as you want to come up to one of these tables. You'll take a, a piece of bread. You'll dip it into the grape juice, and then you'll partake. And after you've done that, there will be an elder, and I'll be at one of these tables. And I'd like the prayer team to come up here, too. I'd like the prayer team to be the first to come up and, and take from um, the bread and the juice and, and then just kind of stand off to the side. And if you, if you want an elder or an elder's wife to pray for you, just to help you, you're struggling in this area, getting along with others, maybe even getting along with your wife or your husband. But you, you just need some help. 
they'd love to pray for you. So, um, as I pray, I'd like for, uh, for elders and uh, that are serving and uh, for prayer team to just kind of come up. Each elder will, that's been assigned, will stand behind one of these tables and then prayer team, if you could kind of be off to the side or in between. And uh, as we get ready, we'll just ask you to come up. Doesn't matter where you are in the sanctuary, just come up individually or as a family. The aisle and partake, and if you want somebody to pray with you, they can pray with you. But while I'm praying, I'd like for the servers and for the prayer team to come on up and be ready to pray with you. Father, um, thank you for the church. for the body of believers. Thank you that you personally know all about what relationships are like. Thank you that you've never been alone. That there have always been Holy Spirit, Son and Father together as one God but as three persons. Pray that that kind of unity and compassion, grace, love will trickle down into our own individual hearts and into us as a community. And that we would realize that just as you, Christ, are in your Father, and your Father is in you, that we are in you, and you are in us bless this time of communion as we celebrate the death of our Lord Jesus who gave his body to be bruised and broken and his blood to be shed so that we would have remission of sins and forgiveness and be included in the body of Christ and the love of Christ. Bless our quiet time together as we pray together the elders that are by the tables and the prayer teams that are off to the side. Meet, meet needs today. Help us to help us to feel your touch. In Jesus' name.